Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted, or should I say welcome back to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field, and we are back because the Packers have a new head coach, the 15th head coach in franchise history. Matt LaFleur is introduced by Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst on Wednesday afternoon in the Lambeau Field Media Auditorium, Wes. And a lot of stuff we can kick around here and a lot to talk about, but uh, but boy, it was an exciting day Wednesday at Lambeau Field after what's been a couple of long years and some frustrating seasons here for the Packers, and uh, just seeing how jam-packed that media auditorium was with all those cameras, a, a scene like that had not really taken place in Green Bay in quite a while. No, I mean, it uh, It definitely was different. Uh, there was a palpable energy throughout the building, yep. uh, whether it was the media auditorium, Packers locker room uh, when we were in there, just the, the vibes in there as well. Not that there's any players there, but just amongst the, the personnel and, and uh, the, the people in the building, it just there is a tangible energy that I think you can feel uh, radiating from this hire of Matt LaFleur, 39 years old, uh, has a, a really interesting story when you look at where he's come from and the route he took and some of the lucky breaks that go your way sometimes on that road to becoming an NFL head coach. Uh, an expansive resume. Uh, I think the kind of guy that you look at when you're trying to build a franchise for 2019 and beyond uh, really has the background you're looking for with some of the, the different offenses that he was exposed to and some of the players that he's worked with. So uh, now he's the 15th head coach in franchise history and looking to turn this thing around in Titletown. Yeah, I think what you just said, the players that he worked with, I think that's the thing that stands out to me the most because, let's be honest here, the most important thing for Matt LaFleur as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers is to get Aaron Rodgers back to playing at the level that we've seen Aaron Rodgers yeah. play at in the past. That is job number one, however he's going to go about that. And when you look at Matt LaFleur's history as a quarterback's coach in Washington, he found a lot of success with the guy who became the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year in Robert Griffin III. Then as quarterback's coach in Atlanta, he was the position coach for Matt Ryan when he wins his first MVP in 2016 when the Falcons end up going to the Super Bowl. Then last year, he becomes the offensive coordinator and a play caller for the first time with the Tennessee Titans, and he deals with a number of different injuries, uh, going back and forth between Marcus Mariota and Blaine Gabbert and transforms their offense into a power running team with Derrick Henry and yeah. gets them to the precipice of a playoff berth with a Week 17 win to get in game, which unfortunately the Titans don't win. But my point is he's found success with a lot of different types of players, particularly quarterbacks, and a lot of different styles of offense in a lot of ways. And I think that bodes well for uh, what the history, what, what, what the future holds here for this historic franchise. Yeah, and it's funny too because you, you, you listed off all those different quarterbacks everybody's everybody worked with. And to me, maybe the most impressive out of that group is what he and Sean McVay did with Jared Goff in Los Angeles. Yeah. You really forget, I mean... He did. He worked wonders with Matt Ryan. Helped him, you know, win an MVP award. Took his game to another level in their run to the Super Bowl in 2016. 
But Jared Goff, you think about what the narrative was around that young man coming off his rookie season in 2016. There were, there were discussions of the bust label with him for as high a draft pick as he was, and things were not coming together for the Rams. And uh, that, as you said, the narrative quickly turned. And it's in the fact that Carson Wentz was looking like the next, you know, the second coming <laughs> of, you know, Johnny Unitas. I mean, it was just incredible. Uh, everything, where things were at. I, I, to, for my money, Mike. You've been around this game a lot longer than I have, and I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but the turnaround the Rams had, just their culture, their offensive production, what they did from 2016 to 17, uh, I, I don't know if we've ever seen anything like it in the modern era. Yeah. And then dramatic. he decides instead of just staying in the passenger seat of a very comfortable car, I'm going to go challenge myself. I'm going to go to Tennessee and be my own play caller. Dealt with a lot of adversity there. Marcus Mariota dealing with some very significant injuries that he was trying to play through, but yet they still found a way. And you take all those experiences, what happened in Washington, his one year in Notre Dame when he got reunited with Brian Kelly. You had the time with Matt Ryan in Atlanta, L.A., Tennessee. Now he's with the Green Bay Packers. I think it is the perfect culmination of all that experience, putting that to work now. Yes, on the resume it says 39, but if you look at what he's done over the last 15 years and the, the ladders he's climbed, I mean, this is a guy with a wealth of information that he's bringing to this offense. Yeah, it's interesting the phrase that you used with uh, sitting in the comfortable passenger seat of a car because if he had stayed with the Rams as offensive coordinator, Sean McVay as the head coach is calling the plays on offense there, but with the Rams going 13-3, and being the number two seed in the NFC this year and all of that, there's a really good chance that Matt LaFleur would have been interviewing for a lot more head coaching jobs than, than the Green Bay Packers. It turns out his risky move to go to Tennessee to become a play caller for the first time, to grow as a coach and try to advance his own career in that way, in some respects it dimmed his prospects because Tennessee's offense didn't light it up and everything, and, and it might have it might have shied some teams away. The Packers looked at it in a different way. They they went behind the statistics. They looked at the injuries that were dealt with, all the circumstances that went into that. And uh, the chance that he took in terms of going out of his own comfort zone and not just saying, okay, I'm going to ride the coattails of Sean McVay and Jared Goff as long as I can until I get my shot. He said, I'm going to go call plays somewhere so that when I do get my shot, I'm going to be better for it. I'm going to be more prepared for it. That's how Mark Murphy and Brian, Brian Gutekunst looked at this, and, and I give them credit for it. Now, who knows if this is going to work out or not. Obviously, there's a ton of energy in the building. Everybody's really excited. I'm excited for Matt LaFleur when you see a 39-year-old guy up there achieve his dream. He is a head coach in the NFL, and he's a head coach for one of the most historic franchises in the NFL. It's a, it's a great thing to watch as, as, a, as a spectator. But, uh, um, but this process and, and, and the way the Packers went about it, they talked to a lot of people, and uh, there was no doubt in Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst and Russ Ball's mind that Matt LaFleur was the guy for the job. Ten interviews that they conducted, seven over a span of three days last weekend, the last of which was Matt LaFleur. They mentioned that, you they know. They went in like four or five different cities or something yeah, like that over a span of three days, yeah. Uh, but the thing that was the most compelling about it is, and, and rightfully so, Sometimes, if you're interviewing all those people, the last one's going to look the most attractive. So they had to step back. They had to you know, make sure they took the emotions out of it. And when they reassessed a couple days later, yeah, this is the guy that made sense for the Green Bay Packers. The other thing to kind of bounce off of what you're talking about a couple minutes ago, 
he could have stayed in L.A. They could have had another a lot of success again this year. 13 wins uh, certainly look like they're going to be one of the front runners here to, to make a run at a Super Bowl. But he probably wouldn't have been as well conditioned to be a head coach if he'd stayed there. Right. Uh, this way, he did get out there. He did get that experience. And, Mike, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you go back and look at the Packers' history of when they've had success, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. It's been when they've had a head coach that's being the play caller. Coach is coach. Mike McCarthy, play caller. Mike Sherman, during the, the best run that he had in Green Bay, was when he took over play calling again from Tom Rosley. You look at you know Mike Holmgren, these guys, this is how they get to this level. If this is the way you coach, if this is the way you play, if this is the way you work, when you get to that top job, why would you change what you are? Tiger doesn't change its stripes, right? Yeah. So from that regard, I, I think for him to get out there, put himself out there, be a play caller, gain that experience. When you're sitting down in that interview then, as he said, you can have that manual. You can have everything laid out, what it's going to take to be a head coach in this league. The GM, the CEO president you're talking to, they're going to throw that in the middle of the table, and they want to hear what you have to say. They want to hear about your experiences. I'll tell you what, Mike, if you listen to Matt LaFleur go through how he got to this position, the continuous upward climb that he's been on, it's impressive because – whether it was his intention five, ten years ago or not, he checked all the boxes to afford himself this opportunity. Yeah, and when you look at the Packers' history, as you mentioned, this last quarter century plus of the, the success, the revitalization that began with Ron Wolf and Mike Holmgren and whatnot, Mike Holmgren didn't have any previous NFL head right. coaching experience when he was hired. Mike Sherman didn't. Mike McCarthy didn't. The only one who did was Ray Rhodes, who right. only lasted one year yeah. and was gone after an 8-8 eight and eight season. And in this quarter century plus, the Packers have had numerous playoff appearances. I believe it's seven trips to the NFC Championship game, three trips to the Super Bowl. Right. So this, this fits with how the Packers do things. It's about, it's about seizing the moment and seizing the opportunity with somebody that they believe is ready for that next step and yes, is, is there a risk? Is it taking a chance on somebody who maybe hasn't proven himself? Yes, but at the same time, if you let somebody else take that chance, they're going to reap the reward and success if they're the ones Absolutely. who are right and if you were sitting on the sideline because you, cause you weren't you know, willing to stick your neck out there. Absolutely. I know you're a big gambler. I know it. I see it <laughs> in your eyes. But if you're sitting at a blackjack table, the dealer isn't showing his hand. I mean, it's, just, it's how these things go. Probably a poker analogy would have been more suitable there, but be that as it may, you don't know what you're getting. The whole life is full of box of chocolates approach to right. this thing. You have to go off your gut instinct, and Mark Murphy said from the very beginning of this, he's been through these things before. He did it at Colgate, did it at Northwestern. He's done it with the Green Bay Packers. You have to trust your process. You have to trust the people. You have to trust the voices. I thought one thing that was really enlightening, Murphy laid it all out there in terms of what their process was, sitting down with the Packers Leadership Council, with the players in that locker room. What do you want out of a head coach, a process that him and Brian Gutekunst both did? They pulled in a lot of different people, and in the end, they felt a, they found a guy they felt would be the right fit for this organization. They even put him on the phone with Aaron Rodgers to discuss this offense and where he wants to take things. And we'll talk about this going forward too, Mike, but the fact that you know he did work with Matt Ryan, he had to prove something to Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan had been in the league for seven years already at that point. And it sounds- And had been, been to multiple playoff games that appeared in NFC exactly. Championship games and all that before 
the Dan Quinn and Kyle Shanahan and, and Matt LaFleur era began there on the offensive side. The same thing that Mike McCarthy had to do when he had to prove himself to Brett Favre, when he had to prove himself to Joe Montana. Same thing when you look at all these different coaches in the league that have worked with veteran quarterbacks or veterans at any position, you need to show that you can coach. He's done that. He's proven it. And now he's going to be working with another MVP quarterback in Aaron Rodgers, who I, to be honest with you, Mike, as much success as the Packers have had over the last 13 years, there is a lot to be said for Aaron Rodgers now at 35 years old getting a chance to operate in a new system. It's a, you know, things like this don't happen a lot. So getting a chance to see what he can do now, taking his skill set, what he's done to this point in his career, getting a chance to marry it now with Matt LaFleur's scheme and system, I think it's an exciting thing. And it's one of the reasons why, to get off to the beginning of our show, there is that real tangible energy that you feel in the building right now. Yeah, I want to get back to that point you just made about Rodgers in a second. But uh, but first here, Wes, the powerful noise-canceling technology that helps NFL coaches block out 80,000 screaming fans can get you closer to the music you love. Learn more at www.bose.com slash Packers. Bose, the official headphones of the Green Bay Packers. And at home or here in the stands, we all know that Green Bay fans give it their all, and that takes a lot of energy. So grab a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Packers fans everywhere. Try the delicious classic chicken noodle soup. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers. Okay, we know this all revolves or very much revolves around Aaron Rodgers in terms of the immediate future here of the Green Bay Packers. And what I think is interesting because this was my gut feeling going into this coaching search from the minute the Packers decided to part ways with Mike McCarthy. In my mind, I was feeling like if you look at this as we're on the back third of Aaron Rodgers' career, mm-hmm. just say, I don't know, I don't know if, I don't know if saying back half, that might be asking him to play a little bit too long. But if we say that if he's on the back third of his career, what's it going to take to maximize this final stretch of Aaron Rodgers' career? And in my mind, it was like, you know, do you have to give him something completely new and challenge him? You know, this is one of the most competitive guys I've ever been around. He's competitive at everything, ping pong, Jeopardy, (laughs) football, you name it. So... If you're gonna if you're gonna hand him something, call it the playbook or whatever. If you're gonna hand him something and challenge him and say, okay, you're one of the best that's ever played this game. Apply your Hall of Fame talents to this. Yeah. Let's go. I think I, I think that's the best way to really maximize on whatever it is that Aaron Rodgers right. has left here before he retires and and heads off to Canton, Ohio, at some point. So. I like this approach from the Packers. Yes, there's no guarantee it's going to work. There's no guarantee that anything that the Packers were going to do here was was going to work. That's why you have to go through the process, as you said, and, and trust it. But uh, I think Aaron Rodgers is potentially going to be re-energized and revitalized by the challenges that are now going to be placed in front yeah, of him. Yeah, and if you know anything about covering Rodgers, being around Rodgers, these are the type of things that he really embraces. And the fact that you cannot discount this either, Mike. The Packers finished 6-9-1 and one last year. Aaron Rodgers is not feeling great about that. No. He wants to win. There's probably nobody in this league maybe has ever walked through this particular building that's wanted to win more than Aaron Rodgers has. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, again, I don't want to put words into his own mouth. We'll hear what he has to say in April during the offseason program or if right. anything else comes out before then. But just knowing, one, that – the Packers did the best they could to include as many different voices as they could in terms of trying to understand what this team needs. What do they want? 
what do we need to do to put themselves back in a situation of dominance? You want to get back to that different plateau mm -hmm. that is not easy to attain. But it's something that I think if you have that open communication, if you have that dialogue, it's going to be there for you. And I, I, one of the things that I was really impressed with, and I don't know what outside media and, and pundits are going to do with this, but I, I really did enjoy what Matt LaFleur said about, you know, there's a big playbook. There's a lot of plays in that playbook. If there's something you don't like in that playbook, you don't feel comfortable running, tell me. We'll use something else. Yeah. And I, I think to some extent, you know, people can be like, well, then that's so-and-so trying to dictate things. No. I, Mike, you and I discuss things on a daily basis, right? We write stories, we do things. Hey, how do you feel about this? What do you want to do here? Do you want to do something like this? Yeah, because if you're just sitting there saying, hey, Wes, I want you to like go around the office and, and start, you know, or going around Green Bay and, and start collecting new sales ads and things like that. No, I don't want to do that. I wasn't paid to do that. I'm paid to write. I'm paid to do this show. It, I think it's really important to know what the whole barometer is, what the landscape is, what do you feel comfortable with, particularly when you're coming in with a new scheme right. with a quarterback that you have not coached before. That's what the next three months are going to be about. This coaching staff, once it's developed, trying to set the place, trying to set the plan, and then once April 1st comes around, implementing that and getting that vision down. And just based on their short interaction so far, Again, only a testimony at this point in time to LaFleur. It sounds like everybody's on the same page from that regard. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. And we'll see how things come together now. Matt LaFleur's number one job in the immediate future is to build his coaching staff. He didn't really get into any specifics in his introductory news conference on Wednesday. As far as that goes, there are some reports out there about some coaches that he may retain. Um, he didn't get into that. He said he is planning to sit down with some of the members of the Packers coaching staff from 2018, including defensive coordinator Mike Pettin. So we'll see how that evolves, and those are things that we can discuss on, uh, on future shows as we get the news of those decisions. But I think this is something where he's, uh, he's going to act quickly and swiftly and get this staff built because, it's, because now it's about building that offensive playbook potentially you know seeing seeing what's there defensively um a special teams playbook all of that because he's in charge of the whole show now it's not right. just the it's not just the one side of the ball and he's also going to want to have some conversations potentially with Brian Gutekunst about okay here's what I see on the current roster these are the kinds of things I'd like to do so in free agency in the draft are there are there some types of players maybe we can target to, to fill in some gaps and, and fill in some holes as you uh, as the Packers transition to uh, to a new system certainly offensively at least so yeah, uh, th there's important. there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done and and quite frankly he doesn't have a whole lot of time to do it no I mean you think back to the first couple of years of Ted Thompson Mike McCarthy uh, Ted Thompson brought in Charles Woodson Mike McCarthy had to coach Charles Woodson you have to be able to have that dialogue in terms of what are the players we feel need to be here and how are we going to go about using them and yeah. being able to maximize their talents. That's the next step. Honestly, I, I think the, this, uh, the next couple weeks here, however this shuffles out with the coaching staff trying to finalize that, I've always felt this way. It's one of the most important times of the season because you're going to have time to sit down, sit down and figure out what you want to do for a playbook. You're, it's not as much time as you used to as far as working with players, but you're going to have that time to you know explain to them what the vision is. But this is the time of the year where everything is moving so fast, there's so much going on, and it really does put that Rolodex to, 
to work and yeah. making sure that, you know, when you're trying to set a roster of 20, 22 uh, individuals working towards a common goal and finding a, a real common bond between them, among them, this is, uh, this is a pivotal time now for Matt LaFleur as he looks to begin putting his staff on this organization. Yeah, well, a couple more minutes before we go here on today's show, Wes, wanted to just get your thoughts on NFC Divisional Playoffs, or I should say NFL Divisional Playoffs yeah. coming up this weekend. Four games. You got Colts, Chiefs, Chargers, Patriots in the AFC, Cowboys, Rams, Eagles, Saints in the NFC. Is there any one of these four games that uh, you're looking forward to the most? Only There's a couple. Uh, really, three are the ones that I'm most excited about. So I I'll, guess ju- I'll just say this is my favorite weekend of Great. NFL football yep. of the year. Divisional playoffs, you got you know the Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, and then two games on Sunday afternoon. The final eight as you advance to the uh, to the final four. That I, I think it's the best weekend of football there is. Really excited to see how the Rams do. Uh, we were talking so much about Lafleur and his former connections to Sean McVay. They have a tough, tough. Uh, you know, battle coming up here against the Dallas defense that looks uh, really formidable at this point in time, especially now without the Bears in this thing. Yeah, Saints and Eagles is interesting just because of the you know the, the Cinderella story again here with Philadelphia. But for me, my money—if you said West pick one game—it's the Chargers and the Patriots. Yep. It's Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, a tale as old as time. And as I wrote in Insider Inbox, I think there is a small part of me that is rooting for a Philip Rivers, Drew Brees Super Bowl. I think if you're building up a card, uh, WWE, <laughs> UFC, whatever it is, I just think that that is the biggest, most attention you can bring. I, those two weeks building towards that. All this time passed after those two had been together. I, that would be a wonderful scenario. But as far as this weekend's concerned, can Phillip Rivers exercise a few demons here against the New England Patriots and advance back to an AFC Championship game? Yeah, there's some interesting things here. I, I think there's, there's an interesting narrative storyline to all four of these games because with Colts-Chiefs, I know it was a handful of years ago, but that one playoff game with the huge comeback, what wasn't it, wasn't it the Colts that were down like, 28 points or 27 points or something like that to the Chiefs in the postseason and they came back and won that was a while ago I know but uh, was that during Andrew Luck's second year when was that yeah it might have it might have been Luck's second season Um, you can keep talking yeah yep it was 45 to 44 yeah yeah tremendous tremendous playoff game then you look at Chargers and Patriots with what they're talking about for the weather in Foxborough on Sunday it could the cold and the snow and who knows maybe another uh, tuck rule game is on the horizon Charles Woodson will have to uh, be <laughs> sitting in a uh, in a skybox there at Gillette Stadium just in case um, then in the NFC the Cowboys defense you mentioned it going up against the Rams this is a Cowboys defense that really is the only one that we've seen uh, at least through the second half of the regular season in the NFL that was able to tame the New Orleans Saints. Right. And so this matchup with Dallas's defense going up against the Rams out in L.A., it's, it's curious to me from that standpoint, can the Cowboys keep it up on the defensive side and, and give their power running game with Ezekiel Elliott and then you know those occasional over-the-top plays to Amari Cooper with the, that, that addition to their passing offense from late in the year. And then... Eagles against the Saints. I don't remember exactly what the final score was in the regular season, but wasn't the, good. the Saints the Saints clobbered these guys. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say this. If you're the Eagles, you don't you don't get a chance. 48 to 7. 48 to 7. You don't get a chance in the NFL normally to come back in the playoffs and get a rematch against a team that quite frankly rubbed your noses in it. Yeah. So as 
as bullish as I've been on the Saints all season long and the fact that they have the number one seed and it's going to be really tough for somebody to go into the Superdome and beat them, the fact that the Eagles kind of got their tails kicked, or I should say just flat out did get their tails kicked by this team earlier in the season is what makes this one kind of intriguing to me because these kind of rematches don't happen very often. And here's the biggest thing, Michael. The Eagles have absolutely zilch to lose in this game. They're playing with house money again, again. And it could not have gone any worse the first time that they played the Saints. So, yeah. What, what what do you have to lose in a matchup like this? Go out. They they, they got they got the biggest break. They got the biggest break any team could ask for in the postseason. A tip, a ding, a tip, and a donk and a clonk. Mm-hmm. I mean, on that field goal that uh, that won the game in Chicago for them and sent the Bears to an early exit in the postseason. That's a some sometimes that's all a team needs. But that being said, I still think. I still think the Saints in New Orleans are going to be the toughest out in in the postseason. Absolutely, and that's also I think one of the reasons why we'll see exactly how the Rams do if they you know they've been up and down a little bit during the second half of the season. But if it would work out too, where you could get Dallas uh, going into the Superdome against the Saints, uh, you know one of the things that's really interesting. I have a lot of respect for Rod Marinelli, the defense that he built there in Dallas. But what was one of the biggest things that they struggled with for years? It was trying to find inside linebackers for that defense, middle linebackers for that defense, especially with Sean Lee doing, you know, working through some of the injuries. And now you have a story like Jalen Smith, the way he's played after such a devastating injury coming out of college. Leighton Vanderesh is one of the, you know, an all pro type player right out of the gate. They're a complete team in the middle of the field. And where do teams like the Rams and Saints try to hurt you? The middle of the field be an interesting scenario to watch, especially if they get back-to-back matchups with those two teams. Yeah, and however it comes out in the NFC, I just realized this, no matter what the matchup is in the NFC Championship, it will be a rematch from the regular season, whether it's because the Cowboys have played the Saints and the Eagles, obviously, and the Rams have played both the Saints and the Eagles. So so we'll see. I think maybe that's partly why, in the back of my mind, I I wanted to see the Bears against the Saints in the NFC NFC playoffs because we hadn't seen that one yet. But... It didn't happen. So, but should be a should be a great uh, a great two days of NFL football. I'll be sitting down with my San Pellegrino and <laughs> eating a couple pretzel sticks and enjoying these. I might have something a little stronger than <laughs> San Pellegrino, but with that, we are going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and what's going on with the Packers head coach and his assistant staff on Packers.com. On Twitter, you can still follow him at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.